And welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA. This is me, Warren Landis, and I am your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And I want to say hello to all of our listeners on Spotify and Anchor FM and some of the other platforms we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. We're on uh, a number of different platforms. Uh, I know the names of most of them. I don't know the names of all of them because (laughs) there are several of them. Uh, and I'm very grateful for that uh, because every platform gives us an opportunity to reach uh, more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's more and more people that we can teach the Word of God to. Amen? Amen. And uh, I want to do something very special on this broadcast, too. I want to uh, dedicate this podcast to the truck drivers that are listening the Sunshine USA in the cab of their trucks. Uh, you know, these uh, truck drivers are a very unique group of people here in the United States and other countries around the world as well because they are responsible for making sure that uh, stores all over the world have products to sell. <laughs> Chances are the merchandise you buy in your grocery store Uh, guess what? It probably was delivered in one way or another by truck. Uh, Now, we know some of them were delivered by train also, but now uh, many of the products delivered by train eventually have to be transferred to a truck for the rest of the journey. So these, uh, these truck drivers are very much responsible for keeping the supply chain moving. And, of course, because of their schedule, Uh, they don't get to go to church as often as some of them would like to go to church. And so a broadcast like this might be as close as some of them ever come to getting to go to church. And so we do want to salute those truck drivers out there, men and women who are hauling goods across America and in other countries around the world. Uh, the job they do is very hard and, uh, The hours are long, and yet it's very necessary. Where would we be without them? (laughs) So uh, a very hearty hello to all of the truck drivers out there. And uh, we want you to know we truly, truly appreciate the job that you are doing. Well, uh, today we're going to be in Genesis chapters 8, 9, and 10. Now, the commentary that I do from chapter 8 today will actually be from the last part of chapter 8, and it'll be kind of like a review of what we did in the previous broadcast. And then we come to chapter 9, where we see what happened immediately following the flood. And then, of course, um, we come to Genesis chapter 10, which... uh, Basically, it's a table of nations, and I'll give you a little bit more commentary on that at the end of the broadcast today. But I want you to open your Bibles and turn to the last part of Genesis chapter 8, and after I pray, we'll begin our commentary on today's broadcast. Dear Lord, I just want to pray right now that you will be with me as I teach your word. Lord, give me the words that you want me to say. Lord, don't let me say anything you don't want me to say. Help me, Lord, to say everything you do want me to say. 
And most of all, God, I just want to give you praise, honor, and glory for all that you have uh, to say on today's broadcast through me. And Lord, I pray for the needs of our listening audience. We have some that have financial needs. We have some that are in need of healing. Lord, we have some that are in need of housing. We have some listeners that are homeless. We have so many needs out there, God. And God, we thank you for the fact that you can do anything and everything. We just have to trust you, God. You are our healer. You are our provider. You are our protector and our sustainer. And Lord, we thank you so much for that. Lord, so many times you're so good to us and you provide us with so many things, Lord, that we forget to stop and thank you for all the things you've done for us. And for those of us that are Christians, Lord, most of all, we thank you for the great salvation that you've given us. We thank you for the fact, God, one of these days we have a home waiting for us in heaven. A heavenly mansion, a new body. Lord, we thank you so much for that. For it's all these things we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, um, I want us today to start our Bible study today with Genesis chapter number 8. And like I say, we'll be more specifically in the very last part of Exodus chapter 8. Now this is the chapter, of course, where the flood comes to an end. Noah and his sons are able to get off of the ark, and we see that God has some instructions for them. I want to put on my glasses here. You know, that's one of the things about us senior citizens. We don't always see as clearly as we used to. It says in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, And Noah built an ark unto the Lord, and took every clean beast, and every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings <clears throat> on the altar. Now, Notice that Noah built an ark unto the Lord. Obviously, Noah recognized that God had miraculously uh, spared him and his sons and their wives. And Noah's wife, uh, they had all been spared from the destruction of the flood. And Noah is very grateful for what God has done. And he builds an ark. And he offers sacrifices. Now, you know, it has to be pointed out that even here, man recognizes that man is a sinner. Man recognizes that man is a sinner. Now, the Bible tells us that one of the reasons Noah was selected by God for the task of building an ark was to the fact that Noah was a faithful man. He loved the Lord. 
And overall, for the most part, he was obedient to the Lord. Now that does not mean that Noah and his sons were perfect or without sin. But it does mean they did love the Lord. Sometimes they slipped up <clears throat> and did things that they shouldn't have done. But hey, that doesn't mean they quit loving the Lord. Kind of like you and me. Uh, I know, for example, in my case, I love the Lord very much. I mean, I really do. I love the Lord very much. And most people that know anything at all about me, they know that the Lord is first place in my life and my living. But now, I would be the first to tell you that I'm not perfect. I am not without sin. There have been times in my life where I have been very disobedient and not always done what the Lord wanted me to do. But you know what? God still loved me. It's, it's kind of like parents. If you're a parent, and let's say you have sons and daughters that are not always what they ought to be. Maybe you have young children that are doing things from time to time that you know good and well they ought not be doing. Or maybe as a parent you have adult children who have seemingly wandered so far from the Christian ways that you raised them in. But now, does that mean you quit loving them? Absolutely not. You know, in John 3.16, we see that God so loved the world. God has a great love for you and I. I mean, after all, God created you. And God loves you dearly. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Now that takes in everybody, folks. <laughs> now we know that the Jews were special people. God made himself known to them first, but his love was not limited to the Jew. According to John 3.16, his love was not limited to the Jew. For God so loved the world. That takes in everybody. I want you to think right now in your mind about the worst person you could possibly think of. Think about that person that is so bad and so evil. You can't hardly stop and think about them. Maybe you're afraid of them even. But think about this. God loves that person just as much as he loves you. And he died on the cross for Calvary. Uh, he died on the cross of Calvary for your sins and my sins. For the sins of everybody, including the people that you don't like including the people that you would consider to be your enemies. God loves them also. And how much does God love us? It says that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him, that is Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now this word believe, by the way, it means more than just a head belief. 
It means to trust, to cling to, to rely upon. Now one of the illustrations that I love to give in connection with this verse, I love to tell the story about a famous tightrope artist. To be honest with you, I don't know his name, but he was a very famous tightrope artist. And one day on the rim of the Grand Canyon, he decided to put on a show. And so he uh, strung a type rope across uh, two banks of the uh, Grand Canyon, enough to where it was a long way down, especially when you got to the middle part of the type rope. And of course, to open up the show, he would walk across that type rope and back. They say, how many of you are amazed that I could do that? Of course, everybody raised their hand, they're so amazed. He said, how many of you doubted for one minute I could do that? Now, of course, nobody doubted because after all, this guy was a very prominent type rope artist. Known all over the world. Then he says, how many of you believe I could take a wheelbarrow and push this wheelbarrow across the tightrope and back? And of course, everybody said, yeah, we believe you can do it. And so, to their amazement, they went ahead, I mean, rather, he went ahead and did it. And they, like I say, they were amazed, they were thrilled. And he says, now, we're going to kick this up a notch and ask you, who wants to volunteer to ride in that wheelbarrow? <laughs> no hands went up. The tightrope artist was a little bit surprised. But you see, the thing about it is, before, they were simply asked whether or not he could do it. Nobody had any trouble believing that this world-famous tightrope artist could walk across the tightrope and do it. But when it came to volunteering to actually be a passenger in that wheelbarrow, they weren't quite so eager <laughs> to do that. Now, why would that be? Well, it's because in order to do that, they would have to do a whole lot more than just believe. They would have to make a commitment to the typerope artist. They would have to trust that he could successfully push him across that rope and back. And apparently he didn't have any takers for that one. So when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, it requires a commitment. A total and complete trust. And then it says, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God offers us everlasting life. Life on this earth right now is not all that there is. You see, life on this earth is so much more than what we have right now. 
And let me tell you, however long we live on this earth, it's nothing compared to all eternity. I read about more and more people, by the way, living beyond age 100. And then I read about other people that die relatively young. Uh, just in the last month, someone who's been my friend for several years died. He, he spent about the last month of his life in the hospital fighting flu and pneumonia. And after about a month in the hospital, it took his life. The flu and the pneumonia took his life. He died. And I think he was only 58 years old. I'm 68 years old, so I mean, I'm 10 years older than this dude. But however long we live on this earth, it's hardly a drop in the bucket compared to all the years of eternity that God gives us. Amen. And so Noah, we see here, built an ark. Now, uh, not built an ark, but built an altar. Now, one of the things about an altar, there's actually two things about the altar we want to think about at this particular time. Number one, an altar is obviously a place of worship. It is a place of sacrifice. And the altar can also be a witness. You know, whenever somebody saw you at the altar, they knew you were worshiping God. And they could smell that you had been offering sacrifices unto the Lord. And most of all, it was a place of worship. It's a place where Noah worshiped God. In other words, Noah loved the Lord before the flood, and he still loves the Lord after the flood. Now, by the way, one of the overall things that we're seeing starting here at the end of chapter 8 is the fact that the flood is over. Noah and his sons and their families are all able to come off the ark, and that reminds us that no storm last forever. And I think I made this point in the last broadcast, but I think it's worth repeating in this broadcast. No storm lasts forever. Now, some of you listening to this broadcast right now, I'm here to tell you, you have been going through a storm recently. It's possible you've been going through a terrible storm the last few weeks, the last few months, maybe the last couple of years even. But let me assure you that no storm lasts forever. Every storm, no matter how bad it is, no matter how severe it is, it will eventually come to an end. I remember back in 2005. Back in 2005, a terrible hurricane hit the United States. In particular, it hit the coast of Louisiana and Mississippi. A hurricane called Hurricane Katrina. 
Now, Hurricane Katrina was a devastating hurricane. There was widespread damage. There was widespread loss of life. No doubt about it. And yet, at the same time, as bad as Hurricane Katrina was, guess what? Hurricane Katrina did not last forever. And, you know, we can certainly thank God for that. <laughs> Hurricane Katrina eventually came to an end, as bad as it was. Now, of course, needless to say, the recovery took several years. But for the most part, if you look at New Orleans and the Mississippi Gulf Coast today, you will find that by and large, this area has come a long way in recovering from Hurricane Katrina. In fact, I think you're going to find that people that live on the Gulf Coast of the United States, these are very hardy people. They're very resilient. And when storms like a bad hurricane hit, they are very eager to stay and rebuild. But the important point here is that no storm lasts forever. Eventually, all storms will come to an end. Now, let's read on. It says here, And the Lord smelled a great savour, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. So we find here that uh, the Lord promises that there will never again be another flood to destroy the whole earth. And he also recognizes the fact that man's heart is evil continually. One of the things we notice, and we'll notice this especially as we get deeper into chapter 9, man was a sinner before the flood, and man continued to be a sinner after the flood. You see, one of the interesting things is the fact that man has a sin nature. And by the way, when you got saved, that sin nature was not destroyed. That sin nature was not eradicated. That's why even though we're Christians, even though we know Christ is our Savior, we have to battle sin every day. We have to battle Satan every day. We have to battle temptation every day. Because we have the old Adamic sin nature. We still have to battle with it and wrestle with it. You know, that's why Paul said, you know, the good stuff I want to do, I don't do it, and the bad stuff I don't want to do, I end up doing it. It's because man wrestles continuously with his old sin nature. And that, my friend, will continue until the day you die. Now, this, this friend that I told you about that died in the past month, 
He doesn't wrestle with sin anymore. He no longer has to deal with the sin nature. For him, that sin nature has now finally been destroyed. Now that he's in heaven, he's never again going to have to worry about fighting the devil or resisting temptation because he doesn't have to deal with that anymore. But until the day you die, you're going to have to deal with that old sin nature. And then look at the last verse in chapter 8. While the earth remaineth in seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now a lot of times I use this verse to let the people that embrace global warming know that the different seasons of the earth are not going to come to an end. You're still going to have hot weather and cold weather. You're still going to have winter, spring, summer, and fall. And that's going to keep on happening until the day we die. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be fluctuations in the climate. That doesn't mean there won't be fluctuations in temperature. I think if we study climate, we find there's always been climatic change. And there always will be. We know, according to the Bible, at one time there was a flood that covered the face of the whole earth. The whole earth was water and there was no land. We know that at one time there was an ice age. Everything was froze over. And let me tell you something, folks. Man, no matter how smart he is, no matter how intelligent he may think he is, man cannot and will not ever destroy the earth. When the time comes for the earth to be destroyed, it won't be man that will destroy the earth, it will be God. It will be God. So there you have it. Now, by the way, that's as close to politics as you'll probably ever hear me get on this particular broadcast. Uh, here on Sunshine USA, I try to steer clear as much as I can from politics. But sometimes I have to make a point that lets us know that things like global warming are not something that man has any control over. Now, I do believe that as Christian human beings, we have a duty and a responsibility to take care of this earth. And it can be argued that at times, man has not done such a great job taking care of this earth. But in spite of the negligence of man, man will never succeed in destroying this earth. And like I say, when the time comes for this earth to be destroyed, it will be an act of God, not the act of man. Amen. Okay, now we come to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, verse number 1, 
Once again, let me get out my glasses here. So I can see. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And replenish the earth. Now, man has been given by God a big assignment at this point. In particular, Noah and his sons have been given a big assignment. They are to multiply and replenish the earth. At this point, the earth has only eight human beings on it. That would be Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. That's all. And so they are given a command by the Lord that they are to multiply and replenish the earth. Now that's a pretty big assignment. That's an awesome responsibility. But as we get further into this chapter and beyond, we'll see that man does a pretty good job of doing exactly what the Lord has told them to do. Um, now, those of you that have a Schofield Bible, and I'm only going to make a brief note of this, but those of you that have a Schofield Bible, Schofield in his notes says that in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, God establishes government. God establishes a sense of right and wrong. For example, God makes it very clear in these verses that murder is wrong. And I think you're going to find that man also has a moral compass. Man, you might say, has a built-in sense of right and wrong. Now bear in mind, here in Genesis chapter 9, there is no law of Moses. In fact, I think it would be safe to say that Moses hasn't even been born yet. Now obviously God knows about Moses. God knows the time is coming when Moses uh, will come upon this earth and God will give to Moses a set of laws known as the Mosaic Law starting off with the Ten Commandments. But we don't have any of that here. And yet we see that God has placed within man a moral compass. Now we'll see that further. We'll see that further as we get into um, chapter 9. It says, um, and I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood, neither shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a token of my covenant. That's in verse 12. In verse 13, he says, I will set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. 
And so God establishes a covenant with Noah. He says, Noah, I'm never again going to send a flood to destroy the whole earth. Now, we do know that after this point, there will be other floods upon the earth. But not a global flood. Now, that brings us to the question about Noah's flood. Was this a local or regional flood or was it a global flood? I am firmly convinced that the flood of Noah was a global flood. A global flood covered the whole face of the earth. During the time of Noah's flood, all land on planet earth was completely covered by water. Even the highest mountains of earth were completely covered by water. And all life except that which was on the ark all life was destroyed. And so we find that this was a global flood. Now, when I say that Noah's flood was a global flood, I know that not all Bible scholars are in agreement with me on that particular point. And, of course, they would say that the flood was primarily a local flood. Well, I got news for those Bible scholars. If they want to be wrong, they can be. But the Bible that I read and study makes it very clear to me that the flood was global. And God says, I will never again send a flood upon the whole earth to destroy all creation as I did here. And then God gives Noah a sign. And he says, this is a sign. I will put a rainbow in the sky. And of course, you know, we still see rainbows in the sky today. Especially if you live in an area where it's raining and the sun is out at the same time, more often than not, you will see a rainbow. And this rainbow is a sign of the covenant that God has established with Noah. Now, let's uh, ask ourselves what was the nature of this covenant that God made with Noah. Uh, some people would say it, it's like a contract. Well, uh, yeah, it could be like a contract except for the fact that God makes it clear that this is a non-conditional promise. In other words, he doesn't say if man behaves himself, I'll never destroy the earth again with a flood. He doesn't say if everybody on earth believes in me, I'll never again destroy the earth with a flood. He makes it very clear, I will never destroy the earth again with the flood, period. And so this is an unconditional promise that God has made. 
But like any contract on earth, it is binding. And I think you will find that, all, that God will always live up to his covenant and agreements. God has always done that and he always will. Now it's important to note not all covenants are unconditional. Some covenants, for example, are conditional. Now those covenants really are more like an earthly contract. That's where God says, okay, if you do this, I'll do that. And even though Noah's covenant is unconditional, there will come a time when God will make some conditional covenants with his children. And that really would be like an earthly contract. Normally, when you sign an earthly contract, you agree to do certain things, and the person making the contract with you, they agree to do certain things. Recently, for example, I signed another lease with the apartment complex that I live in right now. It's another one-year lease. Now, in a lease agreement, which is a contract, you're going to find that the landlord is committed to do certain things, but you also have things you have to live up to as a tenant. Not the least of which is you have to pay your rent on time every month. And if you don't, then all of a sudden the contract becomes null and void and the landlord gets to kick you out. So in the case of a conditional covenant, there can very definitely be consequences in the event that you disobey. And then we come to Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. It says, And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. Now, the indication here is that some type of immoral act occurred here between Ham and his father. And of course, we see where Noah got drunk and he got naked. Now, by the way, that's one of the sad things about drunkenness. And that is, it will cause you to do things you would normally not do. I'm sure that we could say going around naked was not something Noah did on a regular basis. But it happened here because he was drunk. Any inhibition that he had to put clothes on, it went away because he was drunk. 
And apparently one of Noah's sons, Ham, took advantage of that. And apparently did something to or with his father that he shouldn't have done. Now the Bible doesn't go into specifics here as to what this was, but it was something terrible, something immoral, definitely sinful. And like I say, even though there was no law of Moses at this point, you could say there was no written law that says, okay, you can't get drunk and you can't do immoral things. But yet I think God has given man, just as man has to deal with um, the old sin nature, man has within him a moral compass. And that moral compass tells man that certain things are right, certain things are wrong. And so it's very hard for man to say, well, I didn't know that was wrong. I didn't know that was a sin. Oh, yes, you did. Because you see, you have a moral compass. And then we find, begin into chapter 9, Verse 24, and Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger brother had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be unto his brethren. Now this, of course, lets us know that sin, immoral conduct, it has consequences. It has consequences. I can tell you right now the names of some preachers, and I won't do that. I, I don't name names on this program. Now, there are, are certainly legal reasons why I don't do that, but even if I could, I wouldn't. But I can tell you I can think of a number of men who were alive today who at one time were pretty big in the ministry, and yet because of sin, because of immoral conduct, they're not in the ministry now. Sin has consequences. You know, it's a very funny thing how a young ministerial student will literally spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a college education, on a seminary degree, and they do it by hard work and study, and yet because of one night of indiscretion, their whole ministry can be destroyed. Sin always has and always will have consequences. Never forget that. Whenever you're tempted to do something and you know God doesn't want you to do it, just remember it always has consequences. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I'll do it just this one time and then I'm going to pray and God's going to forgive me and everything's going to be all right. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not how the game works. Yes, God will forgive you. God will forgive you. But there are consequences. Some consequences are temporary. Some consequences are lifelong. 
But sin and disobedience, immoral conduct, it always has and always will have consequences. Just remind yourself of that next time you find yourself tempted to do something wrong. And you know, if you're a minister of the gospel, and I thank God for the fact we have many pastors and evangelists and missionaries who listen to this program on a regular basis. And I know that some of you can tell me different times in your life where you have faced incredible temptation. And let me tell you, Satan is out to get you. Satan is out to destroy you. Satan is out to discredit you. Satan has a goal of putting you out of the ministry. Just think about that. Next time you find yourself tempted in any way to sin against God. Sin always has consequences. Then we come to chapter 10. And really, the commentary that I provide you with on chapter 10 is a fairly brief comment. It is here that we find the table of nations. Chapter 10 serves as evidence that indeed and in fact, Noah and his sons, they did exactly what God told them to do. They multiplied, they replenished the earth. And we could say that all the nations of the earth today can trace themselves to either Noah or one of his sons following the flood. And that would be the extent of my commentary there on Genesis chapter 10. Now, if you haven't read Genesis chapters 8, 9, and 10 already, I would suggest that you take the time to do it. These are not long chapters, so it won't take you long to do. And then you could go back and listen to this commentary on Genesis chapters 8, 9, and 10, and I think you'll see the highlights of what God wants you to see. Now, what I've offered here is not exhaustive commentary. Um, there are commentaries which go into far more detail than what I have offered on this particular podcast, but I've certainly hit the highlights of it. And for next time, I want you to go ahead and read Genesis chapter numbers 10. Well, 10 you, you should already have read. But go ahead and read chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. And we will spend some time commentating on Genesis chapter 11 in the very next broadcast in our Old Testament series. Now, most of you know that right now, here on Spotify and Anchor FM, I'm doing commentary on the Old Testament and the New Testament at the same time. That's why basically every other podcast is a commentary on the Old Testament 
Every other podcast is a commentary from the New Testament. As we try to systematically study our way through both the Old and the New Testaments. And, and by the way, I consider the whole Bible to be the Word of God. Now, some people, they think only some of the books written by Paul are the inspired Word of God. I take issue with that. I believe that the whole Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God. And... Uh, if you haven't read it lately, you need to start making it a regular habit in your everyday life. That's what this ministry, Sunshine USA, is all about. Amen. Now, by the way, if you have a Bible study question or if you have a prayer request, the best way to contact me is by email. I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com and the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And I'll be glad to correspond with you. And if you want to, um, you can include in your email your phone number, and I'll be glad to call you and talk with you if you need somebody to talk to. I'll be glad to pray with you over the phone. I'll be able to give you whatever biblical advice I can about what you're going through at the present time. Now, if you would like to contact me by snail mail, my snail mail address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S, 2-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And I would love to hear from you. It's always a joy to hear from you. I thank God for the fact that we have people listening to this podcast all over the planet, all over the earth. And it is my joy to spend time every day recording new episodes so that I can teach you the Word of God and share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. I've enjoyed uh, being with you on this program today. And I want you to know that I've enjoyed being with you today. Uh, to me, I can truly say this is the highlight of my day. This is the highlight of my day. And um, I hope that you will tune in on a regular basis and that furthermore, you will tell others about this broadcast. Well, until then, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And don't fret none, because you know what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.